the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Someone's even called it the death of death and the death of Christ. There is great victory in this death, as we'll see next here on Abounding Grace. And again, greetings in Christ. Welcome to today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. We're here in Matthew chapter 27, looking at verses 50 through 54 and the victorious death of Christ. That's right, victorious. Why is his death so victorious? Well, join us and find out. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner now for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Hebrews 10.20 goes on to describe this entrance into the holy place through the blood of Christ, it says, by a new and living way. This new and living way is Jesus Christ himself, which he inaugurated for us. The idea that it never existed before, he is the one who opened it up. He's the one who is the pioneer of this way. Look at verse 20. By a new and living way, which he has consecrated or inaugurated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now think with me. What the writers of Hebrew were saying is that when the veil was torn, it was also a picture of the body and the flesh of Christ that was torn on that cross. And as Jesus suffered and bled and died upon the cross and suffered an ignominious death, it was that torn veil, the very flesh of Jesus, that we now enter into the very presence of God and have access with the Father. Jesus Christ is our new and living way to the Father. And there is no other way to come to the Father but through the shed blood and the torn body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 22 of Hebrews 10, Let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the privilege afforded us. And this is what is demonstrated in Matthew 27 as our first benefit of the death of Christ, that we are privileged to enter in to the very throne room of God and before Him bring our adoration and petitions. Hebrews 4, verse 16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the accomplishment of Jesus Christ upon the cross. It began at the moment of our conversion, when we walked through that narrow gate 
and we entered into the kingdom of God. At that moment, we entered into fellowship with God, and we entered into the true knowledge of God. But it's not over. This was only the beginning. And now as we live as Christians, we are to again and again and again enter into that veil, into the very presence of God in prayer and in worship and fellowship and communion and draw intimately close with our God. I want to ask you today, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to your Christian life? What does that mean to your daily walk with Christ? What does that mean to your prayer life? What does that mean to your personal worship? What does that mean to your devotion to, tri to our triune God? What does this mean in your life? It means we have intimate, personal communication with the living, loving God, the omnipotent creator of the universe. And it has been received by us through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you this, do you really understand that? You have been brought into the very presence of God. You live as Christians in the very presence of God, you live every moment of every day in vital, personal fellowship with God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You live every moment of every day in intimate communion with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. And beloved, if you remember that every day, it will get you through the toughest of times. Jesus said in John 17, verse 3, This is the eternal life that we may know Him, God the Father in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the first benefit. This is the first blessing. This is the first accomplishment of the death of Christ on our behalf. Access to God every moment of every day. Now, I want you to note a second benefit at the end of verse 51. Matthew chapter 27, resurrection to life. Something happened at the end of verse 51. With the death of Christ and the tearing of the veil in the temple came the abolishment of the sacramental system and the abolishment of the priesthood and a new and living way to God. And at the end of verse 51, God punctuated all of this with a great earthquake. This was so significant. This was, if I may say, seismic, that we read in verse 51... The earth shook and the rocks were split. This was no small earthquake. This wasn't just a few things moving a little in your home or a cabinet door opening up and dishes crashing to the floor. 
This was the rocks splitting in two. It was an overwhelming earthquake. All because of the extraordinary accomplishment of the death of Christ. This earthquake was literally one giant exclamation point. It was God saying amen from the heavens to the death of His Son. The earth shook and the rocks split in two. And in verse 51, we see the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep or died were raised. And this is most likely referring to the cemetery there in Jerusalem. These saints were resurrected when Jesus died. They were raised even before Jesus was raised. There was an immediate effect from the death of Christ. And it was the giving of life to the raising of the dead. And this was a foreshadowing. It was a foretaste of what was to come. And not only Jesus' resurrection, but for us at the end of the world. And what is the point? It is through the death of Christ that we have life. It is through the death of Christ that we have been raised from the spiritually dead. It is through the death of Christ that we even believe, that we repent, that we walk with God. It is through the death of Christ that we will one day be raised as Christ with a glorified body to spend an eternity with our triune God in heaven forever and ever and ever. Jesus said in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. How can that be? We will live forever because Christ died in our place. There is life in his death. There is life in his resurrection. We will never, beloved, be any more alive then just seconds after we die, we will be fully alive to the Lord Jesus Christ, unhindered by sin and guilt and evil and temptation. Now, after death, everyone will be alive in one sense or another. But in the truest sense, it is only believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who will truly live forever. Do you ever think about death? Do you fear death? Do you ever think about the shortness of life? Do you ever think about the suddenness of death? Or the length of eternity? And do you ever pull back at times when you may think about these things and want to hang on to this world and this life? Well, beloved, let me tell you, for us as Christians, the best is yet to come in life and in death. Death for us will simply be the eye of the needle through which we will pass into the very presence of God. We will graduate to glory. And at the end of this age, even our mortal bodies will be raised. This perishable will be put on the imperishable. This corruptible will put on the incorruptible and we will dwell in a glorified body and a glorified spirit in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. That is the point of these verses. 
in verses 51 through 53, not only do we have access to God, but we have resurrection of life. We have fullness of life. We have abundance of life. And there is a final benefit of the cross that I want you to see. It's in verse 54. And it is forgiveness of sins. Now, the word forgiveness is not even in verse 54, as you may have detected already. But the effect, the reality of forgiveness is there. And what we will see is that God has forgiveness for even the chiefest of sinners. That God has grace to bestow through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, even to those who are the most hardened against them, those who have lived in resistance to Him. No one is beyond the long arm of God to reach out and save them. What we see in verse 54 is God saving the very Roman centurion who oversaw the crucifixion of Christ, who oversaw this public execution and demoralization of Jesus Christ. There was power from the cross that began to be released the very moment Jesus died. What we see in verse 54 is the answer of Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Within seconds after the death of Christ, there was immediately the power of the blood of Jesus beginning to take away sin. And it begins with the one who would be considered to be the one farthest away from God, the very one who crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, beloved, there is grace. There is forgiveness, there is mercy, there is favor that is coming from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ to those who are standing at the foot of that cross and who are they themselves who drove the nails into the wrists of the Lord Jesus Christ and into His feet. And yet there is goodness and grace and mercy that comes to them immediately. Look at verse 54. First of all, it says, now the centurion. Well, what is a centurion? He is a Roman officer. And as his name suggests, he is the leader of at least 100 Roman soldiers. The Roman centurion has been encrusted to carry out the crucifixion. He was similar to Saul of Tarsus at the stoning of Stephen. He was the man in charge of Christ's execution site. He is the one giving the orders. Drive the nails into his hands. Drive those nails into his feet. And verse 54 again, now the centurion, centurion and the ones who were with him. That would certainly be the soldiers who had the responsibility of actually nailing Jesus to that cruel cross. And perhaps even more. There may have been more soldiers because Christ was such a liability to Rome. They had to make certain that this execution was carried out for they feared that a revolt was about to break out and Pilate felt he could remain in control only if he could keep everything suppressed. And that's why he caved in, allowing Barabbas to be released while crucifying Christ in his place. Pilate was being squeezed by public pressure to try and maintain peace. So who knows actually how many soldiers 
were under the centurion's command for this highly public execution. And then we read in verse 54 that the centurion and those who were with him were keeping guard over Jesus. And you can assume, beloved, that if they failed, their lives would have been taken by Rome. They were like the soldiers who were posted at Jesus' tomb. If Jesus' body had been stolen, then the guards would immediately be put to death. So they watched over the Lord Jesus Christ with their own lives on the line. Again in verse 54, we read that after they observed the entire crucifixion scene, it no doubt had an effect upon them, especially this centurion. We are told elsewhere in the Gospels that Jesus' death had a tremendous effect on one of the thieves who said to him, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. When he suddenly realized this man who is dying is innocent. He, he's not like us. This man is a king who is about to receive his kingdom. This man will live beyond the grave. Oh, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it's reasonable to assume that the same effect is taking place in the heart of this centurion and very possibly many of these other soldiers. This centurion, too, is coming under the effect of the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin and his need of a Savior. And then in verse 54, they saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, like people being raised from the dead and now walking into Jerusalem. And it says they were very frightened. And it wasn't just the centurion. It says all the other guards. They became very afraid. And it is reasonable to presume that they were becoming convinced of their own sin and the innocence of this one whom they had just put to death. And then at the end of verse 54, the centurion cried out, Truly. Now this word truly speaks of certainty and conviction that belongs to genuine faith. Truly, this was the Son of Man. There's a fundamental belief in his soul and in his heart that Jesus is exactly whom he claimed to be. That he is the divine Son of the living God. He's unlike us. He is the Son of God. And with this confession, I truly believe that we have a confession of genuine saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we see in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe, you will be saved. For with a heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Do you know what the word confession means? It means to say the same as. And what this Roman centurion is doing is saying the same about Jesus as God the Father says about Jesus. He said, this was the Son of God. Jesus said, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And beloved, could there have ever been a more dangerous territory to confess 
the Lord Jesus Christ than to have been this centurion in charge of crucifying Jesus. And at the very moment of his death, to stand there, surrounded by the taunting, mocking crowd, wagging their heads, hurling abuse at him, and for him to stand up and own the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as his Lord and Savior. This was the real deal. And as he confesses Jesus publicly before men, before the very men who crucified him, in the very moment of his death, there is forgiveness There is mercy. There is grace from heaven. There's nothing this centurion has done to deserve this grace. There's nothing he has done to earn this. There is nothing he has done to merit this. And there was no time to go and do anything to earn that merit. Simply by faith looking to Jesus and believing in Him and confessing Him publicly, there is instantly saving grace and mercy and forgiveness. Deeper than the ocean, higher than the sky, poured out upon this sinner. From the top of His head to the bottom of His feet, we are right to assume that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ washed Him instantly as He was still standing in a puddle of Jesus' blood that this very man himself was instrumental in bringing about. Jesus, in his death, immediately saves even this, his executioner at the foot of his cross. This is the benefit. This is the accomplishment of the death of Christ. This is what Jesus secured through his death for us. There is power in the blood of Christ to give access to God, to give us resurrection unto life, and to give forgiveness even to the greatest of sinners. And as we come to the Lord's table today, I want to underscore yet again the power that is in the blood of Christ to wash away all sin. God said, Through the prophet Isaiah, come, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be like crimson, they shall be as white as wool. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we are all sinners here today. All of us come here crying out, unclean unclean, unclean. We have no basis to enter into the presence of God. We are corrupt. We are defiled throughout. But it is through the death of Christ that we, who are so far away from God, are ushered into His very presence and are giving a loving, personal, vital relationship with Him, the living God. As we come to the table, may we all, Ponder the magnitude of the death of Christ for us. May each of us come to understand just how heinous our sins are and how holy our God is so we can fully grasp the enormity of the love that He has shown to us through His Son's violent but victorious salvific death. Amen.
Let us pray. Father God, we are so humbled. We are brought so low by the truths we have considered today. And by these truths, you are so lifted up and you are so exalted. And your son is so honored. Your son is so glorified through the truths we have studied that he must increase and we must decrease. That all honor and glory would go to him alone. Oh Lord, make that a certainty in our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 